Okay, everyone, welcome back to Dad Space. I have a guest returning with us today who was on another podcast with me. Uh, and he's here now, and I have this wonderful book that arrived on my front doorstep, Fat Loss After 40, A Simple System to Reduce Inflammation, Reset Your Body, and Restore Health. Eric is here with me today, and we're going to be talking about all things dad uh, and making, making us a healthy dad. And uh, Eric, your book is amazing. We're, we're working through it right now here in our home. Thank you for writing this. Welcome to Dad Space. Glad, glad to have you here. I'm very happy to hear to be here with you. This is great. This is great. We've talked already once on a different podcast. We're back now on Dad Space. And I'm interested to hear, as I thumb through Fat Loss After 40, I'm just thinking there's a lot of dads out there that need a healthy talking to about how to be healthy and how to show up in this world and be a great example of living a healthy life. So that's why you're here and I want to leverage that. Before we jump into that though, Eric, give everyone a little bit of background. If they haven't heard your other episode with me, um, you have a fascinating background and I'd love to kind of, let's start with that and let the other dads here listening know a little bit about your, your service to your country and your background as well. Absolutely. So I'll try to keep it brief. So, you know, the ABCs, accuracy, brevity, clarity. So I started uh, my career in the military as a journalist and public affairs specialist in the Army. I did that in the Army Reserve while I was finishing uh, my college degree. I did University of Puerto Rico education with a concentration in physical education. I was also a collegiate track athlete. So I did uh, javelin was my sport. After that, uh, I was going to go into acupuncture and oriental medicine, and I did about two years. But then something happened called 9-11. And after 9-11, my priorities uh, changed, and I felt that, you know, I have acupuncture here in my head and my hands, but I felt that it was not time for me to leave the military. So from a reservist, I went into active duty Navy, and I started in naval aviation. Uh, doing airborne signals, intelligence, and reconnaissance. And then I found out about a program called Foreign Area Officer, which I still think is the best deal in the Navy, the best kept secret, uh, the best kept secret career path in the military. Uh, For people that have a certain personality is the Foreign Area Officer, and I'll tell you why. Because during 9-11, you know, when we started going out and doing all these missions, there was a phrase that became popular. It's, you can't surge trust. Surge is a military term, which implies that uh, whatever your current level of military, you can ramp up the forces to meet the demands, right? So what they're saying is when you want to say, for example, hey, I really need to use the airfield in your country. Can you let me fly my missions out of your country? You can't do that via email. You have to build a relationship over time so that when things happen, it's just a phone call. It says, brother, I need the airfield. And they go, you got it. That doesn't happen from one email. That happens through months and years of building a, a, a good, valid, transparent relationship with the partner navies that we work with. Okay. So I just literally finished my career in the Navy. So I retired about a year ago. And I had been doing the Fat Loss After 40 program as a side gig while I was in the military. And when I got out, I actually had the time to sit down and write the book. So the book you hold in your hand is the result of five years of coaching people and a previous five years experimenting on myself, right? So five years by myself and five years coaching others. Over 100 people have gone through the program, and that is how we get here to today. 
military writing the book, the uh, after Fallus uh, after 40 coaching program. And now I'm talking here with you. So if you have any questions, ask away and I'll expand them. Mm, I love it. Um, the one thing we picked up on was you're talking about your liver cleanse. My wife was questioning you. You talked about um, having distilled water yes. compared to other types of water. And she's like, I've never, I've never thought of that before. Can you, just for that, for my wife, who's going to be listening to this episode going, Dave, ask her the ask him the question. Um, distilled water, the, the benefits and the reason why you call that out for your book as part of that portion of, of your book, why that compared to your typical spring water you can buy at your local store. So interestingly, you know, with everything out there, right, there's competing factions and it's usually because they're selling something. All right. So in the water space, there's the distilled water people, there's the vitalized water people, there's the alkaline water people, there's the spring water people. What I do is I drink distilled water and I have a device that helps to stir it magnetically and I add minerals to it. So I drink those two waters every day, uh, every day and every now and then I'll buy spring water. But in the beginning, if you want to engage in a fat loss after 40 program or a liver cleanse, what the benefit of distilled water is that distilled water really leaches all the inorganic minerals from your body. So all the impurities, the distilled water, and one of the telltale signs is you start drinking distilled water only in the first two to three days, you'll notice, man, like I'm going to the bathroom doing a lot more number one and number two. That's like the first sign. And why? Because it's literally cleansing you out. A funny story. I was in Colombia in the submarine base and I said, hey, I want to get some distilled water because that's what I drink. And the guy's looking at me. He's a naval captain, submarine naval captain. He said, distilled water? That's what we put in our batteries. You're going to drink that? And I go like, absolutely. Distilled water is the purest water there is. If you're ever going to make an experiment in a laboratory where they can't have any contamination, which water are you going to use? You're going to use distilled water because distilled water is literally pure H2O. Distilled water is you take your tap water or any water and it, you put it in this device and it, and it heats it up so that the steam rises. The steam will rise and then it will cool in the coils and then drop by drop, you will get pure H2O. Now, the interesting thing is like when you open the distiller, you see all the gunk and inorganic minerals that are left in the distiller. But when you consume it, what it's going to do, it's, it's the most cleansing of all the waters right? Some people say that distilled water is like a blank CD, you know, a blank CD. So you're going to make a shake, right? A distilled water, if you, you know, you add whatever you're going to add to it, it's the, it's having a blank CD that will have the most effect on your, on your shake. Now, that's not to say that alkaline water is not good or spring water is not good. They're great. But when it comes to making a shake or when you're in a cleansing program, Distilled water has the most cleansing effect. And also, if you're making a shake and you're, and you're really, you know, first time you do, you're monitoring things, you don't want to use tap water because, first of all, you don't know what's in your tap water. Like, we really don't. We don't. Yeah. Right? And they just try to cover up with chlorine and chemicals. But sometimes there might be spring water and it could be super great, but you don't know exactly what's in it. So when people are starting on a journey like this and they're doing something like a liver cleanse where kind of like the 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 mindset is to rid your body of anything that's unnecessary and, you know, to use the word toxic, then distilled water becomes your number one choice. After about, you know, 30 to 60 days in distilled water, that's when I would start adding, you know, either spring water or alkaline water or vitalized water, whatever the thing is, 
but I always feel it's great to start the day. When I wake up in the morning, I drink one of these, which I don't know, 16 to 24 ounces of distilled water. And that just starts getting everything flowing. And then, you know, more in the evening, I drink more of the more nourishing water to help me to adapt through the day. See, there's a, that's for my wife, Jennifer. Jennifer, there you go. That's and just So did you have, so I know there was distilled water. Do you have like a specific liver cleanse question I can also uh, answer? Well, I guess the big, the big idea around a liver cleanse, I think, for people who are unaware of the process is the, why it's important. Yeah. And I, I, when we chatted in our other podcast, you just talked about being like a, hitting a big reset button on your body, right? So can you just kind of explain in general, like, why is it even important to do that kind of cleanse in the first place? So I'm going to try to distill everything. Into yeah, distill that so too. Yeah. All yeah. the, all the, you know, all the, all, all the doctors and, and, you know, brainy people might, may look down upon this explanation, but this is the one that works for most people. So the liver is one of the body's main detoxifiers, liver and the kidneys, right? So what happens is up until about our thirties, our livers are good and we can do a bunch of damage to ourselves, meaning we could drink, smoke, eat fast food. And if we ever want to drop weight, all we have to do is just work out a little bit harder, eat a little cleaner, and we can shed 10 pounds extremely easy. Then what happens at 30? Well, a lot of people start hitting this wall. Like, how come I used to do this all my life where I just work out a little harder, you know, eat a little cleaner, and I could drop 10 pounds like nothing. And now no matter what I do, I can't. So the answer to that for a lot of people lies in the liver. It's not the only answer, you know. But the reason is, you know, that the liver as the body's main detoxifier, if there's more toxins than it has room to, to clean, it will encapsulate it in fat. The reason it encapsulates these so-called toxins in fat is to protect you so that your body doesn't have to, I'm sorry, so that your liver doesn't get overburdened uh, clearing more toxins that it can naturally uh, do so that you don't hurt your liver, but you don't want it in your bloodstream either. So part of it is encapsulated in fat. And this could be belly fat or it could be little cholesterol plugs inside the liver. Okay. So what happens? Like we said last time, the, the liver is, yes, the body's main detoxifier, but it also has a role in your metabolism, right? So people forget that the, the liver has a big role in metabolism. If the liver is bogged down in, in all this toxic debris from 10, 20, 30 years ago, right? You know, when people say they experimented with drugs, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, I was in the Navy, I smelled JPA, that's jet fuel, right? You remember when you were a little kid, if they put gas in the car, like we enjoyed that smell and we would soak it all up. Well, if you're smelling it, it's going into your body. And usually gasoline and jet fuel, JP5, JP8 is not that good for you. But when it goes into the body, if your body can detoxify it right then and there, it will clean it. But if it can't, right, then it will encapsulate in fat. So now think about a lifetime. Think about all the pharmaceutical drugs you were given as a child when you were five or eight years old and ask a doctor today, hey, uh, when I was so-and-so, they gave me this. And you know what they always say? Oh, my God, we don't, we don't prescribe that anymore. No, no, no. And I go, okay, so... Back in the 70s, when you're fully prescribing it, and I was, and my mom was giving it to me as a good parent, you know, what was I putting into my body? Um, another thing that happened, like from the 70s, right? You know, I, my tonsils would swell. And just go, just cut them out, cut out the tonsils. You know, later it was found out that I was allergic to red 40, like a lot of kids were. And that is what was causing the allergic reaction. So let's take out your tonsils as opposed to, hey, stop drinking red 40. 
All right. Hmm. So think about all the things you've done since a little kid, all the medicines that are either discontinued or no longer prescribed because they were dangerous or toxic, but they gave them to you. Right. Think about your your teenage and college years, all the partying you did, if you drank, if you smoked, if you did drugs. Right. If you have a medical condition and they've given you a lot of heavy duty pharmaceutical uh, meds. Well, that has a that has a toll on the liver and the kidneys. If you've been involved in aviation like I was and you've inhaled jet fuel, if you're a truck driver, if you work a lot in with cars and and you've been exposed to all these materials that you inhale it or, or they just get in your body. Right. Imagine somebody who worked with asbestos, that type of thing. There's there's all these yeah. substances that are not beneficial to the body and in a healthy body, you just process them through the liver. But when you have a buildup, then the, it's kind of like the liver's backed up a little bit, right? So that is from a health perspective. You definitely want to do a liver cleanse to, to get rid of all the stuff that may be on a backlog. Now, shifting back to metabolism. Well, if you're trying to drop weight and your liver has this backlog, right? And some of the stuff, some of the fat is these toxins that are encapsulated in fat to protect you, to protect you. Well, then that's why it's sometimes harder for a lot of people to drop weight after 40. Now, here's here's the benefit, though. What happens to a lot of people when they start cleaning their livers, right? Well, first of all, they drop five to eight pounds from one liver cleanse in a healthy manner because what they're really doing is they're moving all the poop and all the cholesterol plugs around the liver. But what happens is they get more energy. They feel better. I had one lady, I did not know this until she told me, she had psoriasis. 75% of her psoriasis cleared up overnight from one liver cleanse okay wow. and the the theory behind it is you know the liver cleanse does not cure anything at all but if you're able to completely clean the liver and that is when you can do two liver cleanses in a row and nothing comes out then your liver is considered clean then you're liberating all this energy that is stuck in the liver both for detoxification and metabolism that you didn't previously have because it was, you know, bogged down. Now, a true case study, there's a guy, and oh, I want to get his name right. I think his name is Daniel Pressner in Canada. And he has a really interesting story. He had multiple sclerosis and Crohn's disease. These are two diseases that in Western allopathic medicine, because that's the correct name, right? Because when they say the term alternative medicine, like there's only one correct medicine and everything else is alternative, like, no. Western allopathic medicine is the medicine that likes to give pharmaceutical uh, prescriptions to deal with the symptoms that you're suffering with. That is the, the textbook definition of Western allopathic medicine. All right. So this guy got Crohn's and multiple sclerosis, which Western allopathic medicine says, dude, you're sorry, you're going to have to learn to deal with it. And all they say is like, well, what we can do is we can prevent the rate of decline. So instead of declining this fast, we're going to prevent the rate of decline. And so this guy says in a you know very honest and I think transparent uh, document, like he was tired after 10 years of doing every, every conventional and uh, alternative treatment, he was still sick. And he got into this liver cleansing thing. He did one liver cleanse a month for 18 months. And after that, his liver was fully clean. And now there's no trace of multiple sclerosis or Crohn's disease in his body. So according to Western allopathic medicine, that's impossible. You can't do that. And he did it just by cleaning his liver. Did the liver cleanse cure him? No. The liver cleanse cleared his liver. But apparently, if you clean your liver, 
you liberate energy in your body or you liberate, you know, just function that can then be applied to other parts of your body. I, I think it's kind of like, you know, if you have a lot of programs running in your computer, you have a lot of windows and tabs open, you yeah. don't have access to all your RAM, right? You don't have access to your full processing speed. So if you close down all the windows and leave only one running, it's like your computer works a lot better. I, I think it's something similar to that. Does that make sense? Ask me another question if I wasn't clear, because I really want to no, make sure no, people understand it, because the liver cleanse is the one thing that people get excited upon when I say you can lose five to eight pounds in a day and a half, but then there's some kind of mental block or fear or apprehension, like, oh, I don't know about cleaning the liver. And these same people will do a 24-hour fast, but when it comes to clean the liver, they get, they, they get a little bit antsy, and I have to always kind of like, you know, calm them down and then after they do it they all love it then it's like yeah. can i do it in three weeks and i go no you know you really want to wait another month before you do another one but i love their enthusiasm <laughs> <laughs> no i love it and i don't want to give away all the secrets of the book because you have to go buy the book that's why there is a book um well, i mean you can get we it we can talk about right? how great a liver cleanse is but if you want to see the detailed breakdown of what to take at what time in one hour it's in the book yeah, it's amazing. And that would take um, long to do here. <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah. And again, that's that's the whole reason of, of having you on, Eric, is this to, to introduce the book to 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 dads out there because again, men typically are not as health focused as our wives and our partners might be, where they see the doctors more than we do on a more regular basis. And men kind of begrud begrudgingly kind of make their way into a doctor's office if we have to. Um, but is that a great illustration for our kids about how to take care of ourselves? Probably not. You know, so, I, there's this, yeah. this uh, what a axiom of leadership, which I truly believe in, that says that example in leadership is not the main thing. It's the only thing. So, you know, if, if you're a dad and, and you smoke and you tell your kids, hey, don't smoke. And they, they're going to go, dad said don't smoke, but he's smoking. So what it really means is smoke. Right. Kids are paying more attention to what we do and who we are than what we say. And if there's ever an incongruence between what we say and what we do, they're going to go by what we do. So yeah. the first point of a parent, you know, is, you know, the dad's usually the protector. Right. So it is in the dad's best interest to be the best version of himself that he can be. Right. And if you want to inculcate healthy health habits to your children, you have to be the embodiment of a healthy person, right? If you're a 400-pound person, you do not really have the moral ground to tell your children to, to be healthy, right? I mean, unless you have an endocrine disorder, and that's not a completely different, but it's just, if it's lifestyle-based where you're, you're not moving enough, you're only eating junk food, and, and you've allowed yourself, you know, at your 40s or 50s to, to go in, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't feel good about it, then you got to understand that your kids are picking up on it. And this is not about aesthetics, even though there's nothing wrong about aesthetics. I see it more as form follows function. Meaning if you if you choose to be a, a strong, healthy person, your body will reflect that. And that's why, you know, when they say form follows function, it's usually why do sprinters look different from marathon runners, right? Sprinters look very muscular, like a thoroughbred horse. Marathon runners are usually very thin. So that to me is an example of form follows function. When you're a marathon runner, your heart has to carry your body for 26.2 miles. So the body says, I need to shed all the extra weight from this body because 
the weight of the body is the load that you're putting on the heart for 26.2 miles. So it makes sense that your body would say, let me trim everything. If you're a sprinter, then it's about generating the maximum amount of force for short distances, let's say 100 meters, 200 meters, 300 meters. And it's really an all-out effort. It's a, Your goal is to get to 100%. And some people say that you never get to truly 100% because if you get to 100%, then you just move the needle. And now, you know, because it's the best analogy for the human body. And I think I heard this in the 90s, and I still live by this metaphor to this day, is if you have an engine that is a 10-mile-per-hour rated engine, mechanical engine, and you're running at 12 miles per hour, you break it. If you take a human being with a current 10 mile per hour capacity and you force that human to perform at 12 miles per hour, you don't break them. You transform that person into a 12 mile per hour capacity human. And that to me is the greatest uh, thing that we humans have. We can actually grow and transform ourselves into something better than we are today. That's amazing. Uh, I've never heard that before, and I love that. That's that's good. So the one thing I picked up on earlier that you said um, when you're talking about your military days is you can't surge trust. Can you take that same explanation, which was so well done, and translate that into your relationship as a father with your children, how you can't surge trust? Can you translate that into a dad speak for us as dads? How, what does that play out like and, and explain that in a dad context? Absolutely great question because, you know, we were talking before that, you know, children are your children for a very definite amount of time. For example, in my case, right, I have four kids. I have three boys and a girl. When, you know, I'm, I was in the military, I would have to deploy. And I was very aware that when I went for three months, if they're five years old, they're only five years old for one year out of their life, right? When I deploy, I miss that. And, and there's no way to get it back. Because if now they're six years old, now I, can, now I can be there for when they're six, but the three months I miss when they were five, that time is gone. And I think bigger picture, parents, or let's just, we're talking about that. So just, just focus on dads. Men who feel or think that they can put off, you know, spending time with their kids until they make it financially or until they fix some issue with this idea, well, when when my kids are grown up, I'll catch up. I think it's a fallacy. And because kids need you, like kids need their moms and their dads from the time they're born to 18 and they need them all their life. But during those formative years, you have to be there. You have to be there physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, spiritually, right? Um, and all the gaps that you have there, you can you can make up for it later on, but you can't get it back. So if, if, if you've avoided your children or you haven't been there for your children or you haven't prioritized your time with your children, and then let's say they get to 30 and you say, man, you know, I'm going to fix this. And you're going to go, hey. Um, I know you're 33, but I'd like to make up the lost years from five, six, and seven. You're not getting it back. You're not getting it back. And more likely than not, your relationship with your kids is not going to be the best it can be. And so and nobody's life is perfect. And I've got so much scar tissue in my butt from all the ass chewings I've got. But I can <laughs> tell you that we can always improve from where we're at, right? So from where we're at, we can make decisions to say, I'm going to prioritize my family. 
And those decisions have consequences, right? I chose to prioritize my family, especially when I transferred from aviation to foreign area officer, because to stay in aviation was to completely put the Navy and the career above my family, and they were going to have to take a lot more deployments and time alone. I chose the foreign area officer program because, first of all, I think I love the idea and I love the program. I believe in it. I believe, you know, I believe in creating partnerships with navies that want the same things we want. My first language is Spanish. I grew up in Puerto Rico. I understand Latin culture. So if you're telling me we want a, we want a, a breed of naval officers that want to build ties with the partner navies of Latin America, I'm like, sign me up. You know, that's me. And I truly enjoyed my work. And I can tell you that I sometimes I feel like I develop even better bonds of friendship with the officers from Colombia, Peru, and Ecuador. Sometimes it was some of the American officers. And part of the reason is because they arrive in this country and I was like their lifeline, right? We needed to get them to social security so they could get a, a social security number. Then I had to take them to the bank so they can have an account so that they could actually rent a house out in town, like all these logistics things. And sometimes they didn't come here with good English. So I was like their translator and their facilitator, you know, when they were like thrown into a foreign country. So because of that hardship and me coming through for them, our relationships as friends, now that we're both out of the Navy is really, is really strong. And I really value and treasure that. Take me back to the birth of your firstborn. What did you, what did you think of yourself prior to the birth of your firstborn, and then walking out of the hospital? How much did you change in that short period of time where you weren't a dad, and now you're going to be the dad for the rest of your life? What changed in that moment for you? You know, it's funny because when I talk to my kids about this, I realize once, not even before your kid is born. I was telling them, when I think back on my thought processes prior to being a dad, you realize that a lot of us are really self-centered, not in the negative way, but that you think that, oh, my God, what do they think about me if I wear this? Well, you know, like you think like like you're the center of attention of your world and all you care about is your actions and the reactions that your actions generate. When you become a dad, you become second level of importance and the number one level of importance, how am I going to feed this little creature? How is this little creature going to have clothing? How am I going to ensure that this little creature has a roof over his head, right? So when you become a parent, I feel, is when you truly understand what love is. Because I love my wife. I'm happily married. And that's the only woman in my life for me. Like, I've only been married once. I'm only going to be married one time. And she's the thing. But I've observed that in this world, People could get married and get divorced. So in a way, your maiden marriage is not the highest expression of love. It is if you find the right mate and you can build your whole life with one person. I think that is extremely beautiful. And I consider myself extremely lucky. But what I've realized once you have a kid is that there's no divorce from your children, right? Your kids are your kids for the rest of their life and your life. And it creates such a big bond because you truly understand what selfless love is. Any parent will sacrifice their food to give it to their kid. And it doesn't cost them any thought processes. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's like, oh, I don't know. It's like my child has to live. And that thing from, from being completely self-centered, self-focused to the, the kid needs to live. <laughs> 
is one of the biggest, and I think it also helps with maturity. You know, just when you are out in the world, I'll give you an example. I don't know if I told you this, but I was going to Puerto Rico. I was still, I was dating my girlfriend, who's now my wife, but I don't believe we were married at the time. And we're driving and we pass by the projects, you know, the hood. And, the, and this is in Puerto Rico. And there was this American girl. And you could clearly tell she was a junkie and that she was a prostitute. And I'm driving and I tell my girlfriend now, I was like, who in their right mind would pay to have sex with that person? Because you can tell that that is a highly diseased person. Like, you know, like, how can you even have um, any tranquility or sexual excitation when this girl is carrying more diseases than they're probably found out? Right. That was my impression. After I had my kid, I drove by that same area. And I looked at her and I just go, that's somebody's daughter. Right. There's a dad out there. That's his daughter. Yeah. And she's a junkie and prostituting herself. And I thought it broke my heart. So I went from who in the right mind would have sex with this person to, wow, that's somebody's daughter. Somebody's daughter wow. right there. There's a dad out there who must be worried sick. So talk. Yeah. Those are the kind of, of shifts in perception that people get that I think it's very hard to have without having a kid. And I know some people want to equate having a pet with having a child, you know, but it's truly not, you know, because I mean, I have a friend who has rescue dogs and he's the he says he's the only one that he'll allow me to say everybody else. He would, you know, clock them out. But I said, dude, you know, if Fluffy dies, you can buy another Fluffy. But if your kid dies... I mean, right. the impact on your life is catastrophic. Yeah, you know, You're not going to recover from Fluffy dying the same way you recover from a kid dying. First of all, it's a natural act, right? It is a natural for a parent to to have to later rest their son or daughter, right? Right. And, and I know because uh, my uncle died when he was 39 and my grandparents had to bury him. And it's like laughter. And happiness left them when he died. Like they were oh. never the same grandparents they were before. And I can imagine now if you lose a son, that you're not going to be as happy as you were before. Somebody told me when my firstborn was born, they said, Dave, get ready to live life with your heart beating outside of your body for the rest of your life. Because that's a piece of you out in the world. And now my wife and I are both empty nesters. So all three of our children have left the home and they're all doing their things. Do I know exactly what my kids had for lunch today? No. Do I know where they are at this very moment? No. And that is a weird feeling going from a everyone under one roof, everyone tucked in at night, going to bed, all lights off, dad's home, mom's home, parents are there in the house, kids are safe. That feeling, mm-hmm. when that doesn't happen anymore as an empty nester, it's very unnerving because I don't have my finger on the pulse of my family right now. And all I can do is trust and hope that my 18 years, 19 years of them under my, under my roof has given them the foundation to make good choices and, and to follow the right path, whatever that is for them, right? So how confident... Have you been as a dad growing as your kids have been growing that you are doing the best with what you know at the time? How does that feel for you? 
Yeah, because every time, you know, when you have kids, right, it's not like you went to good parenting school and then they give you permission to have kids, right? It's like, it's like life gives you the test first and then you learn the lesson afterwards, right? So a lot of it is is learning through trial and error. And I used to be a lot more vocal when I was, remember, because I came from the military. So I would do the, the snap and the point. Like if they do something, I just go like, then you know. <laughs> and yeah. uh, over time, I stopped doing that. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is like when they're young, it's almost they're little like suicide beings, right? They, they, they look a car, I'm going to run into it. No, you know, I, I, one day I was swinging a kettlebell, which is a 35 pound ball, you know, like cannonball with a handle. And my son saw it and came running straight toward me. So I had to throw the kettlebell to the side because otherwise he was going to get clocked in the head, right? And I think there's a definite, you know, I got to ensure you're alive during the first years. But the beautiful thing is that over time, if you if you invest the time and, and you prioritize your family, um, the relationship starts getting really interesting because with my two eldest sons, I hang out with them as my friends. And what I mean by that is I told them like, okay, look, you're 21 and you're 20. Whatever opinions you have, they're your own. I'm not going to tell you do this, do that. So you can be yourself. I've done educating you. I'm here. I will set the example and you will always have room and board. But you know, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to agree with everything I say, but we can choose. We can choose to be together. And it's really interesting because, you know, I just retired from the military like a year and a half ago. And, you know, with COVID, everybody was like isolated. And so during COVID, it was my wife, myself, my four kids and my father-in-law. So in a way, we were never alone. Like I have friends who were literally alone in hotel rooms for a year uh, because of COVID. So we had that. And now the interesting thing is stuff like this. I'll be I'll be watching TV or doing something. And then my two oldest sons want to watch Oppenheimer. I go. Hey, can I, can I, can I join you guys? Sure. And, you know, I don't have to pay for everything. It was their idea. I wanted to tag along with them and they, you know, my second son has a car. So it's like, wow, this is cool. Like they've got their own car. They made their own plan. And when I knew about the plan, I asked if I could be included and they said, yes. So the three of us went kind of like friends that nobody's educating or, or modifying anybody's behavior. And I thought this feels really good because with my younger two, my younger daughter and my son, I still feel the responsibility to have to educate them. And, you know, there's still a little bit, you know, don't say this in public or don't, you know, you have to kind of like reel them in. Yeah. I feel like 21 and 20 is like, all right, you're responsible for your actions. Um, but it's also liberating that we can choose. And that's important. And it's one thing to say, you know, you will be here. No, it's one thing when people can choose to want to be with one another. So to get to the point where your kids voluntarily, voluntarily want to spend more time with you, to me, is the hallmark of success. And that's why when I was talking with my wife, I don't know what the future entails, um, but I know that we will always be close to our children, no matter what. So if we got to move to Central America, because that's where where we'll be. If we got to move somewhere else, we'll move. We're not tied to this house. This house is the base of operations to get everybody uh, up and, you know, got two kids in high school still. But once they're all, once we meet the financial uh, criteria, I'm sorry, the educational criteria, I'm I'm open to whatever because the prime directive is to keep the family united. Amazing. Um, from your perspective too, Eric, and what about we have uh, listeners listening overseas on base 
um, away from their family mm-hmm. uh, and hearing our words, talking about building this quality time with family, knowing that like you, you were away um, and not home all the time. What uh, any words of wisdom from your perspective to those listening that are serving our countries far from home and missing family right now? How, how do we stay connected? How do we how do we bring meaning when we're not it, at home? So the first thing is, like you said, you got to communicate, right? So nowadays, a lot easier, right? Because with cell phones, you can call or text people from all over the world when you're traveling. But to get to the real, real question and point behind that, I think you got to prioritize family time to the point where you schedule it. So something we've always done is every Saturday, I take the whole family out to eat. Why? Because A, I'm giving my wife a break from having to cook and, you know, Part of the reason we're healthy is because we eat home-cooked meals, right? And she's doing that uh, five to six days a week. So to have a dedicated day where we kind of honor her, you know, and we take her out to eat, and then we're all eating as a family, right, is is one of those things that now we're used to it. So every Saturday, we're going to go out to eat as a family, right? Uh, sometimes that's all the time we may have, but a lot of the times that also mushrooms into other activities where we're voluntarily uh, hanging out, right? And, and again, like I'll give you an example. When I went to Puerto Rico to visit my parents, I told my oldest two, I said, all right, you guys are now old. I am going to Puerto Rico with my wife and my youngest two children. Um, you do not have to go if you don't want to go. Um, and you can choose to go anywhere you want to go. But since you're a grown-up, you will pay for your trip. So my my second son said, hey, I really want to go to Virginia because he spent a couple months in Puerto Rico. I said, and so I didn't give him any grief about it. It's like, OK, you want to go to Virginia? Great. And then he saved up his money and he went to visit his friends. Uh, my second one stayed here because he wanted to work and save money. And I go, well, the youngest two, they don't have a choice because they're under 18. So I'm telling them, you will go to Puerto Rico and I will pay for it. Right. Because I'm telling you, you will be at this place. Um, but it's really interesting to have that relationship where you give your kids because, you know, I think the hard thing for uh, young adults is balancing their, their rights and their responsibilities, right? Sometimes all they want to do is, like, give me stuff, right? But you realize, no, you have to earn the stuff. So to have that point where you have you have rights, you have privileges, but you have responsibilities, um, getting them to that place is, is very rewarding from my end. And I think that's also what helps because you can't. You can't have a grown man or woman always asking, hey, dad, can you pay for this? Hey, mom, can you pay for this? You know, you have to give them the opportunity to to earn their keep and also to disagree with you. Right. They say, well, we want to go here. But that I really want to go here. Well, if nothing bad happened. Go ahead and do it. You just have to own it. It's yours now. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I love it. Um, OK, Eric, there's so much we could talk about. I could just have you on for the whole week. I just <laughs> keep recording. But we have other things we got to do as well. Um, again, tell everybody where to find Fat Loss After 40. And you have you have more than just the book. You have some other resources for us as dads. Can you explain all that? And we can send people to your direction. What, what, what do we sure. do? Um, so right now, the fastest thing you can do, you can get Fat Loss After 40. It's on Amazon and both in a hard uh, hard hardcover, I'm sorry, hard copy and, and Kindle. Um, there's a coaching program I'm going to probably revamp, uh, for 2024. Um, one of the reasons I haven't been doing the coaching program since I retired is to spend time with my children. So, uh, I'm, I'm actually going through an electrician course with my first son. 
I am doing a paddle platoon with a veterans group with my second son, and we're doing a 40-mile paddle on Sunday. I taught my third son how to shoot, you know, which he wanted to learn how to shoot, and I was doing parkour with my daughter. So I decided to prioritize my family and put the coaching on the back burner. Also, you know, we, we moved from Washington, D.C. to Jacksonville, so we're doing all these things. But the easiest and fastest way is get the book. I'm usually on Facebook or Instagram. I'm not a big social media guy, so I check it for about five to 10 minutes in the morning. And if there are legitimate questions, I may post a video about it. For example, with Fat Loss After 40, whenever there's a podcast, as usually will people will will send me questions either by Instagram and Facebook. And when it's a good question that I feel a lot of people have asked, I'll create a video response and I'll put it on Facebook and Instagram. So not just that you can, can benefit from it, but people at large. Because usually it's the same questions over and over, right? You know, what about this with carnivore? The liver cleanse this. And then sometimes it's just putting their mind at ease or just explaining what I go. I call it good, better, and best. Because in the book, I explain the stuff that has given the absolute best results. That's over five years, over 100 people, right? I know that if you do certain things, you will drop 10 to 15 pounds in one month without exercise. And then people go, but what about this? But can I eat this? Can I add this sauce? And there's a, I go, I think I spelled it really clear. But I also know that sometimes you don't want to just lay down the law, right? Sometimes you got to say, look, if you want to add that to your diet, that's okay. Just realize that you may not get the 10 pounds in a month. You may get six pounds in one month. So if you're okay with diminished results, then you can tweak the program and add things that are not in the program. Just know that every time you deviate from the program, then I can't guarantee your 10 to 15 pounds. And a lot of people are good because they go, that's, you know, to not spike insulin is good. You know, to have an elimination diet is better. And to stick to a carnivore diet for 30 days is the absolute best. And that's based on five years of experience and 100 people. So when you deviate from that, you may not get the same results. But you know what? For some people, that's okay. They said, I'd rather drop six pounds and 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 not go through that much uh structure. Okay, then you're fine, then you're good. Yeah. Usually people do coaching and they pay three grand for coaching. They're, yeah. They never deviate from the program because you know I'm holding them accountable. They're also holding me accountable. <laughs> Right. So yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. So do you have a timeline then for maybe the coaching program coming back? So I definitely want to launch something for January 2024 because usually what happens with a lot of people yeah. and you know when you're over 35 it gets worse. You know, there's a lot of holiday waking, you know, from October, November to December. There's a lot of uh extra sugar consumption and a lot of people tend to put on 5 to 10 pounds over the holidays and after a certain age, they don't really get rid of those pounds, right? So they keep adding five to 10 pounds every year. And that's how over 20 years, a person that was trim and fit, you know, gets to be overweight, right? So the idea is to nip it in the bud. So when are people most receptive and want to do it in January, right? With all the, the New Year's resolutions, unlike going to the gym where most people go for like two weeks and then they never go again, the benefit of it, it's a structured program, you know, that lasts three months. And, you know, I, I have two versions, the one month version for people that want to drop 10 to 15 pounds and the three month version for those that want to drop 50 pounds. Right. And uh, I'm likely going to do one or two sessions in 2024, one from January to Jan, Feb, March, and then another one, April, May, June. So 
one right after New Year's and then one right before uh, summer hits the uh, the season so that people that want to go to the beach can can show their best best possible face forward. But the real magic lies when people do this program, they change and they have a fundamental different understanding of their relationship with food and their bodies. And then it parlays into better relationships with their family members and better performance at work. Yeah. And to be a great example of healthy choices as a parent is always a bonus for your family to watch you on display and they can learn from your example. So that's always a bonus too. Love it, Eric. It's a book, Fat Loss After 40. I'm holding it up on screen for those watching and for those listening. Um, we'll have a link to it in the show notes and you can go and buy it. And I haven't done it yet. I'm going to do it today. But make sure you leave a review for Eric when you buy the book online and let other people know how amazing it is so that Eric can send, sell many more copies and help many more people by leveraging the comments you leave when you buy a great book like this. Eric, thank you so much for being part of this podcast and the other. And uh, I really enjoy having you on my show. You have a great insight. And again, thank you for your service to your country. Uh, you, you represent your country well. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thank you very much. And you know, what I like about it, it's, it's an easy conversation. You know, we just have easy conversations about, you know, maybe difficult subjects, but it always seems like easy and free flowing and hopefully people can get some benefit from it. And again, look, I got more scar tissue in my butt from having my attitude so many times that, look, if I could do it, you can definitely do it, okay? Yeah, and then one of my big takeaways from our discussion is that whole thing about you can't surge trust. You can't surge trust. That has so much meaning for everyone in all different aspects of our life. So that's a, that's a nugget. You're definitely going to have to listen to that again. So, thank you, Eric, for sharing. Great, great to have you. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening to Dad Space today. I'm so thankful that you were here for this episode. If uh, you like the show, please let another dad know. Hey, <laughs> that kind of rhymed. Anyways, uh, share the episode out with somebody in your circle who would love Dad Space. That means so much to us here for our guests who donate their time to be on the show. And we just want to see this grow. So, again, another rhyme. Oh, wow. Anyhow, I <laughs> um, think I need to write a song or something. Thank you for being here for with Dad Space. And again, looking forward to the next episode. Look forward to having you here again with us. And if we can help you in any way, or if you have a great guest idea for the show, a topic that we you would love us to cover, we would love to do that here on Dad Space. So thanks for listening and thanks for being part of the community. And to you, Dad, thank you for listening and thank you for sharing Dad Space. We'll catch you on the next one. Take care. <laughs>